is here, and we are now just one week away from our first football game. Get hyped! Welcome in to Fantasy Football Today, DFS, Episode 8. Frank Stanfield joined, as always, by Mike McClure and C. Najad here to walk you through our in-season weekly process, talk about stats that we use most, react to some of the latest news, and of course, we'll wrap up with some situations to target or avoid early on in the season. Mike, showdown slate, one week away. Are you ready? I'm definitely ready for that. I've been stacking the tickets up over on FanDuel. Uh, uh, we'll mention this ahead of time. I meant to mention it in other episodes. If you play daily fantasy baseball at all, go look in the lobby for satellites that award tickets to these big contests. I won 120 tickets so far to that, so I'll easily have that one maxed out by the time uh, we, we kick off, and I can't wait for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to share that process with you guys. Uh, I think I'm going to convert a lot of you into showdown slate players. And I think C is probably going to be one of those people that also convert into showdown slate players. What's going on, C? How you doing? I think so. I'm certainly going to have to a week from today because I'm not going to not want a piece of the action. I am, you said the word hyped. I mean, I'm so excited. I'm so, like, the fact that you just couched it for us. We are literally about a week away from Dallas, Tampa, and it's uh, it's pretty crazy. It's It's here. We're here. Yeah, massive week one game. First game of the season, obviously, the defending Super Bowl champions going up against the Cowboys, America's team. So lots of fantasy-relevant players in that game. Mike, what's the water situation looking like? Because we had a few YouTube comments. They, they, they can't trust you if you drink canned water. Hey, I mean, they'll trust me quickly after the first week or two of the season. <laughs> I, I'm pretty confident about that one. But uh, the water situation is great. Uh, I've got one poured up over here. I, I should have saved the crack for the, uh, the stream, but uh, maybe maybe next time. It sounded beautiful. I, I'm a big fan of the crack. I, I'll, can I come up with... I'll, I'll try and think of some kind of segment we could do with that. Um, the, the wheels are turning in the head right now. Let's talk about the latest news. Cam Newton cut by the New England Patriots. Mac Jones will start week one. And let's, uh, I guess, kind of figure out what, what does this mean for the entire New England Patriots offense. Cam Newton had 19 carries inside of the five-yard line last season. That was fourth in football. No other New England Patriots running back had more than three carries inside the five. So I think we're looking at a massive boost for Damian Harris. Probably someone will look at more so on FanDuel than DraftKings because it's half PPR. He's not really going to catch the ball very much. But see your early takeaways on what Mac Jones does for the Patriots passing attack and maybe who might get a boost in the rushing attack, if anybody. The passing attack, you know, I'm not really sure about. I know a lot of people are going to say, well, it's definitely going to be Jacoby Myers, but we can't forget they brought in a lot of targets. Okay, so Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Hunter Henry, Johnu Smith. And you might think, oh, well, Hunter Henry and Johnu Smith, they're just tight ends. Well, they're pass catchers too. And Johnu Smith can line up all over the formation. So, you know, I think it definitely improves the stock of all the pass catchers, um, particularly Jacoby Myers. But I don't think I'm ready to to start looking at Jacoby Myers in a DFS capacity, like at all, really. So let's, let's kind of wait and see on that. As far as Damian Harris... Yeah, it certainly improves his probability, his touchdown equity. But you know, let, let's be honest, part of the reason any running back can succeed is because of the threat of Cam Newton running. So, yeah, of course, it definitely improves all the running backs. Maybe Ramondre gets in there and gets some touches near the goal line, too, as the season goes. But uh, I am I think it's great for Damian Harris. Again, as far as from a fantasy standpoint and a DFS standpoint, I'm not super high on him all of a sudden. But it, it certainly improves. And, and I will say I'm, I'm very surprised by the fact that Cam Newton ended up getting released. I, I didn't think Mac Jones would be ready. And I thought Cam Newton offered enough to actually be the starter for that team. Yeah. And let's not that people need a reminder, but Bill Belichick is the head coach of the New England Patriots and he likes to change things up. You think you know what's coming. He'll change it up. I mean, how many times have we seen uh, the running back come off the street who was like Jonas Gray or something like that a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. four touchdowns in a game. Right. So they like to change things up and I'm sure they're going to mix and match running backs throughout the season. Damian Harris looks like the lead guy for now. Ramondre Stevenson really showed out in the preseason. James White still going to catch a ton of passes there as well. Mac Jones, his target distribution for the preseason. I'm not sure that this matters very much, but I was researching it earlier today. So I thought I would share these stats with you. 63% of his passes went to wide receivers. 29% went to running backs. 8% went to tight ends. It's worth noting John U. Smith and Hunter Henry barely played in the preseason. So that, that probably factors into that. Uh, Mike, any takeaways here from the Patriots offense? It seems like Jacoby Myers has been gaining a lot of hype throughout the preseason, could step up as this team's wide receiver one. But as Sia mentioned, there are a lot of targets on this team. 
a lot of targets on the team. And I, I will say I'll take the over on that percentage of the tight ends getting the target volume there, uh, especially early in the season. I, I like both of them. I think the thing that stands out the most is Mac Jones' price on DraftKings week, week one. He's $4,400. Hmm. Uh, absolute. I mean, not bare minimum, but very, very close to bare minimum for a quarterback there. You can stack him with one of his pass catchers and have the combined salary be less than $9,000. That's really going to open up the rest of your lineup to pay up for guys like Dalvin Cook and some of the other guys like maybe Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. Uh, so if you're confident in this situation, which I'm confident in taking a shot for sure, like it's going to be, I'm, I'm going to stack him up with Aguilar or Bourne because we know Myers is getting a lot of that attention. I think the Dolphins know that as well, obviously. So they're going to try and take that away. Uh, but I like Jonu Smith as well. Um, well. We'll see what everything's looking like in, in a few days if we get even any more clarity on it. But I would expect uh, both of those tight ends to see the field in the red zone quite a bit. Um, so while I do think it helps the running backs a lot, I think obviously Harris is someone we love. He's We're all high on Harris, I think, across the industry and for good reason. Uh, but I personally, I'm interested in these tight ends now. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning that they gave Aguilar a good amount of money this offseason too. So someone that can get behind the defense, stretch the field a little bit. Kendrick Bourne is someone who I might lean on a little bit more early on here in the season because he is the slot receiver. He has been a slot receiver in years past for the 49ers, now comes over to the Patriots. But that can be the middle of the field, the short area target here for Mac Jones to lean on early. So he's only 4400 and of course Mac Jones has that very cheap price tag of... $4,400 as well. So yeah, you can stack both of those up and that's only 8800 of your total salary in week one. Michael Thomas will go on the pup and will miss the first six weeks of the season. And since the Saints have a bye in week six, the earliest that Michael Thomas can return is against the Seahawks on Monday Night Football in week seven. So does this mean that it's Marquez Callaway to the moon? As the kids would say, what do you think? See, he's only we've mentioned his name a few times already. It's thirty four hundred dollars in week one against the Packers. We'll talk about, you know, that game getting moved in just a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of hype on Marquez Callaway. And for good reason. I mean, it, it's one thing to say, well, it's just the preseason. But if you looked at the catches he was making and the routes he was running and the speed that he flashed, I mean, it just looked really good. So at thirty four hundred, I mean, in, in a game that has a fifty point total, that a lot of people are going to be stacking one way or the other, or at least grabbing a couple shares of. I think you're going to find that Callaway is a very, very popular DFS player, and, and for good reason. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned some of those catches he made. I know they had a primetime game on Monday Night Football against the Jaguars, and he caught two long touchdowns against Shaquille Griffin, who is regarded as one of the better cornerbacks in the league, and, and the Jaguars just paid him a ton of money, too. So that was pretty impressive there from uh, Marquez Callaway. Looks like he will be the Saints wide receiver one heading into the season. That game, the Packers and Saints in week one, has been moved to Jacksonville as uh, New Orleans recovers from Hurricane Ida. So... The game is currently off the board, as I've seen. It was originally it originally had a total of over 50 inside the Superdome. Mike, what does this do for you? I mean, I, I've obviously, you know, going from a dome game to outdoors, it's not like there shouldn't be many weather concerns in Jacksonville, but uh, does this do anything for you overall? I mean, obviously, you want the Saints playing at home uh, in this situation. You want to play in the Dome, really, for both teams. But overall, it's not going to change a ton. I, I think that we're also going to be attacking this game. This is one that initially we we talked about maybe, what, three episodes ago? Like, it didn't seem to have a ton of attention on it because of the Kansas City game. I can pretty confidently tell you now that I'm going to have three players from this game in my cash game lineup, uh, just based on how everything is shaken up over the last week and a half. Uh, it's going to be Alvin Kamara, Callaway, and Devontae Adams on the bring back there. Uh, I think that that's going to be an incredibly popular build. I like it a lot. It projects very well. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about Callaway. We're talking about everything here. But Alvin Kamara is still a huge benefactor of Michael Thomas not being out there on the field. Uh, maybe even more so in a situation that might be slightly uncomfortable and that is going to Jacksonville and not playing in the dome. I think that they could lean on Kamara even more here in week one. Um, you know, initially we were going to have to kind of pick between him and Dalvin cook or McCaffrey. I, I don't even know if we're going to have to pick now. There's a lot of value shaking up. Like if you want to build a Mac Jones lineup talked about, you can throw all of those guys easily in a lineup over there on DraftKings in week one. Yeah, no, it's a really good point that you bring up with Alvin Kamara, too. And something we didn't really talk about until now, but Jameis Winston as the quarterback, you know, he he gets, 
you know, he has this image of like a, a gunslinger. He throws the ball down the field. I, I think he's learned a few things the past couple of years, or at least I hope so, um, playing under Drew Brees. But this is better for Alvin Kamara, the fact that he's the quarterback, because Taysom Hill, he would take off and run. And when he was the quarterback last year, he really didn't throw the ball to Alvin Kamara very much. So I, I think that Winston yeah. being the quarterback definitely uh, helps him out there. No Michael Thomas means they have to throw the ball to someone. Callaway, Kamara, I think, are going to likely be the top two targets here in this offense. I want to give you a quick update on the Irv Smith situation, which we talk, talked about on the previous podcast, he had knee surgery, and it was revealed on Wednesday that he's expected to miss the entire season for the Minnesota Vikings. So Tyler Conklin will step in as the likely tight end one, but the team also acquired Chris Herndon from the New York Jets, and I would expect probably a lot of Conklin early on while Herndon gets acclimated in the offense. But see, the Vikings usually used two tight ends the past couple of seasons. It's been Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith, and you know now neither of those guys are there. But I think as Herndon becomes more comfortable, they'll work him in, and we'll probably get two tight ends again. Agree, but I think the good news, if you're playing Minnesota players from a DFS standpoint, it, it's going to be concentrated targets because, I mean, Herndon, I expect Herndon to, to end up winning that job, but I think you're really, you're, you're talking Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen, and you can kind of rotate which three you want to play based on price and opportunity and target share and things of that nature. But I think Minnesota is really interesting uh, just in general, not just for week one where they're, they're also interesting playing the Bengals, but I think they're really interesting because uh, any of those three guys I mentioned can completely go off. All right, so let's talk about our process. That's going to be the meat of today's podcast. What does it look like a week in the life of Sia Najad or Mike McClure throughout the course of the NFL DFS season? So whatever, I'm going to hand it over to each of you guys and, and, and just let you go. You can tell me what does each day look like. You can go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever you do, leading up through the course of the week. How do things change for you, Mike, on a Thursday where you might be gathering notes for the overall slate, but obviously you're still looking at things for the showdown because there's a Thursday night football game. So obviously that comes into play. Anything that you might do, do you create lineup shells earlier in the week? Do you create groups of players that you plan to target? Mike, we'll start with you here first. What does it look like a week in the life of Mike McClure? All right, we'll start on Monday. So on Monday, going to that next week, I don't do anything related to So like, after week one, heading into week two, I will do absolutely nothing related to that at all. I will play the showdown slate on Monday night. That'll take 100% of my focus during that day and that evening. And then after that, on Tuesday morning, that's when I'll wake up. I'll download the salary data. It's always out by then at that point. And I will look at salaries and look at which things stand out initially to me. Uh, look for large discrepancies between the two sites. Uh, example of that being someone might be $1,500 cheaper on one site than they are on the other. And I will start to circle some of those things. But overall, I don't do a lot until Wednesday, frankly. Um, there's not a lot to do on Tuesday other than look for very obvious situations, potentially go back and watch some of the film if you see you know, things that kind of stand out, someone getting nine, 10 targets that we weren't expecting, uh, someone, you know, scoring. It's important to look at the fantasy points, right? So if you go look at box scores, you need to understand what happened there. Did someone have two touchdowns on four targets? Like that's probably not sustainable, right? If it is, I, I go look through snap counts. I do all those things, but I typically am not doing that until Wednesday. I kind of like to take Tuesday off personally and kind of recharge. Um, the, the, the beauty, as I've talked about a couple times on this episode or on this podcast, is there's not a lot to be gained from locking things in early. Uh, and, and I think that it can be troublesome when you start to do that. I think it's healthy to look at the slate, look at mispriced things, and, and then go back and really understand what really happened the week before. So if you're someone who wants to do something early in the week, I would ignore next week go dissect what really happened the week before. Uh, if you want to go team by team, player by player, position by position, whatever it is, go look and understand, okay, they scored this touchdown here. They had this level of usage. Is that something that's likely to be sustainable? Is it related to the game script in any way? Did they fall behind two touchdowns early as a favorite? Did that change things drastically? Is it in a situation where you know next week, as they're a favorite again, that's not likely, so there's probably more running back volume predicted next week. So that, that's what I would do early in the week. And then once I get to Wednesday, 
that's when you start to get some of the sentiment around the industry. You can hear, you can consume content and really understand where things are going to go. By Wednesday, you will have seen some pretty good movement in the market as well. And when you and I say that, I mean looking at the sports betting market. So what you'll see there is you'll see how lines have moved, which sides you can and identify as potentially sharp sides. You can see how the totals move. You can begin to look at forecasted weather data. Uh, I, I think it's a total waste of time for the most part to look seven days in advance. But by the time Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night rolls around, we can get to start to have a pretty good idea of what we're looking at. Uh, and it doesn't apply at all weeks of the season, but as the season progresses and, and really we have elements you know, in football at many of the stadiums. So that's what I'll do there. And then Thursday, it's all systems go on that showdown. End. And then Friday, Saturday, that's when I truly lock in and start to go through all the data assess where I think the ownership levels are going to be, start to make some of my decisions as far as which teams I want to play, which situations I want to fade based on overall industry sentiment and where I might have them rated. All right, see ya. Mike had his shot. Now you get yours. Everything. The week in the life of Sia leading up to uh, a DFS week in football. So I won't go by day. I'll just kind of break it up early in the week, uh, late in the week. But I do love the daily b- breakdown that Mike just gave. So I also love what he said about looking at salary data kind of first thing. Because, and, and I don't know if those were his exact words, but, you know, let's say the Monday night football game is gone. You know what games are going to come up next week. I'd almost prefer, and, and I try to do this. That's why I said almost. Sometimes I'll just kind of accidentally, or I can't help it, and I'm going to look at the, the, the week ahead, and I'm going to look at the preliminary lines and totals and things of that nature. But what I'd prefer to do is actually look at the salary data on Tuesday. So if I look at the salary data first, that I'm not necessarily being influenced by the totals. Now, maybe as the week goes, maybe I want to be influenced by the totals because that's obviously helpful information. But I'd like to know what my first impressions are before I get any sort of outside influence. So I might look at a game, again, I'll use Arizona and Tennessee as an example. I might look at that and say, hey, that that, that's a game I probably want to stack. And then I might get that confirmation once I look at the total and the implied total. So looking at the salary data first on a Tuesday, um, tuning into, of course, Fantasy Football Today, DFS, it's going to help us recap the, the week before, of course, and, and have a preliminary sort of set of, of maybe games that we like and things of that nature. So obviously that gets worked in um, looking at game totals and implied totals. So that's my first look at hey, okay, these are the games that are expected to be high scoring. These are the teams that are expected to be high scoring. And then I'm probably, now I'm not going to make lineups, but I'm probably going to look at which stacks that I really want to play. And that doesn't mean just the stacks of the high scoring games. I'm going to have some contrarian stacks that I like to sort of early in the week um, and look at line movement. Obviously, Mike talked about that. That's going to tell us, hey, are some of these are some of these implied totals off a little bit? You know, that maybe one's shooting up and I should be paying attention to that. So that's kind of early in the week. Later in the week, we're talking, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Again, we have our show that's released Thursday as well. So you obviously have to tune into that for a variety of reasons. I want to monitor injuries. Uh, I want to review some preliminary preliminary ownership percentages if they're available. Uh, I want to start maybe thinking of how I'm going to correlate stacks. And I don't just mean my major stack. I also mean my secondary stacks. You know, we talked about it how... Let's take that New Orleans game, for example, which is on that afternoon slate. Well, let's say we want to do the stack that Mike talked about. Well, maybe I want to do a secondary stack with that Kansas City Chiefs-Browns game. So I'm starting to look at, okay, if I'm doing a secondary stack with the Chiefs game, which which guys do do I think I want to kind of hone in on? And, and does it make sense to hone in on them from like a, a lineup construction standpoint? Um, I might want to identify some games as, as one-offs. Like we talked about that Miami game. Maybe I like Aguilar or Kendrick Bourne as a one-off. And I'm, I'm trying to think of which are the sort of dart throwish guys that are really inexpensive that, that I want to kind of incorporate into these main stacks and, and these secondary stacks. And then it's, it's a, a lot of it at that point, you're talking Friday, Saturday, you're trying to monitor practice reports and things of that nature. Who's who's banged up? And I'm not just talking about the skill position players. I'm also talking about, let's say, the offensive line, for example, because that's going to impact your running back, your receivers, your quarterback, things of that nature. So those are things to monitor. And then, of course, Sunday rolls around and you got the inactives that come out an hour before, approximately an hour before the game start. You really have to be monitoring that. I don't think I'm telling anything, you know. That's a pretty obvious point. And then we also talked about late swaps. So your job really isn't done at at one o'clock at, at quote, air quotes, lock, because the true lock, in my opinion, is probably like 
405, 415, 425 when those afternoon slates start, because for what for reasons we've talked about in previous podcasts, and there are many, you might want to actually, you know, swap things out here and there. So that's pretty much my process. Uh, but I do want to emphasize, I do like to look at things kind of on my own accord, like the salaries first. I personally think that's pretty important to try to form your own impression first before you get into the sort of subconscious groupthink that, that that we all kind of devolve into as the week goes. Now, some of that groupthink might be good. Like some of that, we, we want some of that information, of course, but some of it takes us off our initial impressions, which are also sometimes good. So that's something I like to do. Mike, you mentioned one of the first things you like to do, and see, it sounds like you as well, is you like to look at salaries. Mike, you mentioned that you download the salary data. Where does somebody go to if they want to download that themselves? So you'll need to be on a desktop computer. Uh, it's not a mobile-friendly environment really at all, but when you go to join a contest on FanDuel or DraftKings, both of the sites will have a little button that says Export to CSV, and it'll just simply download a little spreadsheet of the salary data and that'll give you all sorts of useful information, most notably the salaries and positions. Um, positions obviously don't really change much here in the NFL, but you know, a sport like baseball, positions change pretty frequently. So that's always something to uh, to keep in mind. But yeah, download it and make your own opinions before you look at any of the totals across the board. And if you're someone who's also betting on sports and you want to bet early lines, that means you're going to want to try to do this process even earlier. So on Sunday, once these tournaments lock, week two will probably be published in the lobby right then. If not, you know, certainly by Sunday night. So once Sunday night football locks and you play that showdown slate, feel free to download it and start to do it then. If you're someone who wants to jump on lines early on the sports betting side, but I highly, highly, highly recommend making some notes, starring some players, looking at salaries, before you are influenced by seeing a game has a total of 53 and a half versus another game at 49 and a half, because you're going to like the guy in the 53 and a half game a lot more. And a lot of times you probably should. We're going to get, be getting news all week long. It happens. I mean, we're going to have practice reports. There's a lot going on. I know that Friday afternoon is a big day for news. I mean, a lot of times there are players who look, if they haven't been practicing all week, they might get ruled out. So that obviously changes things and, and will give us some clarity on that week's slate. And then Sunday, 1130, that's an hour and a half before kickoff. We're getting a lot of news and we're going to get stuff overnight too, from Saturday into Sunday, Adam Schefter. I mean, the guy never sleeps, but um, we're going to get that news. A lot of it, the bulk of it is like around 1130. See, how do you react on a Sunday morning to news that's coming out because you might have, okay, oh, I have my whole cash game lineup or I have all these different stacks and things that I want to do. What if news comes out that like kind of flips the slate on its head? How do you react to something like that? You might not want to change it, but I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of situations where we feel like maybe we should because of news that comes out. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the good news for people that do this a lot or listen to shows like this, they're usually prepared for that last minute inactive. So I got to be honest with you. It's not ever really, uh, it's never, you know, noon Eastern time or 1230 Eastern time where I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. I mean, yeah, of course that happens. Sometimes there's just a guy's just inactive. Maybe he contracts COVID or something like that. Like, you know, we don't know things can come up, but generally speaking, it, it doesn't really affect me too much. I mean, if it did, I mean, you have to take the new information. So for example, if, if, a if a lead running back is inactive, but maybe you didn't even roster that, that running back, but now you see value, let's just say Gus Edwards is inactive. And all of a sudden they're saying, you know, Tyson Williams is going to get the start. Uh, you know, that's good information. So if Tyson is, you know, 3,300 or something, yeah, it'll probably be chalky, but maybe not because it's such a last minute thing, but you put him in and all of a sudden a position that you didn't feel good about you can maybe boost that position up, you know, at quarterback or or another running back position or something. I mean, that that's kind of an obvious point, but I I want as much information as possible. So if it ends up affecting my lineup, or even if it doesn't affect my lineup, I might have to consider maybe making some changes because there's just so much value that that I want to grab. Mike, I know a lot of the data that you use comes from running simulations, uh, and I know some people like to use optimizers, and and so be it, but. 
when do you actually start to do that? I know you mentioned Friday and Saturday is like a big bulk day for you, but would you not even touch the simulation process or look at an optimizer until later in the week? Yeah, it's definitely later in the week. Uh, well, I should say that I will do it initially the like right at the week before, like Monday or Tuesday, but it's very basic, no fine tuning, uh, just to find the two to three obvious players that we know we're all going to play. Um, and, and I use that for some of the content and stuff that we generate, but I'll run again Saturday, Friday night, Saturday afternoon, but I won't actually build any lineups at that point. Like I'll look at lineups. I will have generated lineups, but I won't actually put those lineups into my contests on FanDuel and DraftKings at that point. So once inactives come out, uh, I'm starting over as long as there's something that's meaningful enough. And it's just kind of through, you know, a decade of doing this now, I know by hearing the news, seeing the news, when something is meaningful enough to change uh, what I'm going to be doing. But generally speaking, I'm waiting for inactives. We know there are situations that we have. So the biggest thing that I do, and again, I I'm sorry that I keep bringing this over to other sports, but it's a good practice. Uh, in DFS NBA, lots of injuries, right? We know a lot of the injuries. We see questionable tags on players. Because we don't have a lot of time in those sports, I will run simulations with the player in. I will run simulations with the player out. So I'll be sitting on two different projection sets, two different sets of lineups, all of the things there. And then I will be able to know, okay, once I get that news, I can run with this set. Same thing in the NFL. Uh, we just have a lot more time. So I, a lot of times I don't have to go in if there's only one or two players we're waiting on, and it's in my best interest to wait. But if we get to a big week where there's five or six key injuries, I will run the stuff ahead of time, you know, on Sunday morning early before inactives come out or Saturday night as Schefter's dropping the, uh, the tweets, you know, I'll, I'll look at some of that news. But overall, I, I do wait until after we have the official inactives before I go put things in. Uh, we talked about episodes again. I, I think that there, there's a psychology element to uh, not wanting to change once you've already locked in that lineup. Uh, there's essentially, in my opinion, you know, like an irrational fear of what if I'm deleting the winning millionaire maker lineup here by making this swap. Uh, so that's generally, you know, I, I at this point I'm trained to not really fall victim to that. But we're all human. We still think that. Um, I personally believe it's in my best interest to run things on the computer, have them in spreadsheets, have them on optimizers, but not actually put the lineups and lock them in to the site until after the inactives have come out. What about you, Sia? Do you have a, a specific time where you're like bulk entering your lineups actually onto the sites? Yeah, well, I generally don't bulk enter. So yeah. I'm, I'm usually putting lineups in by hand, which, which I think is important actually to bring up because you know, there are some people who are listening that are like, well, I don't, I don't want to, you know, download the data and, and put it into a, like a hundred lineups or 50 lineups or um, use an optimizer or whatever. I mean, some people just aren't using that. So I do want to impress upon the people that are listening that uh, Mike's way is excellent, but, but you can still build lineups. You can still, still build 10, 20 lineups, whatever you want to do just, just by hand building. But yeah, I usually will have my lineups in by a very late night, Saturday night. And I am fully uh, able and willing to change those lineups based on whether it's weather information, inactive information, or, or anything like that. So it's very easy for me to go in because I don't have, I don't, I only have so many lineups. As I've said before, I do a lot of three max, single entries, some cash games, mostly double ups. So it's very easy for me to digest some information and just look at my lineups and see where I have that guy and make the switch. Yeah, and I, th I think that's the beauty of not just DFS. It's really all fantasy sports, right? Like, there's no one way to win. There are multiple different routes to go down, and and you can bulk enter, and, and you can use optimizers or simulations like Mike does, or, or you can just hand build and, and kind of do what is comfortable for you. Single entry, three max, couple cash games here and there, and you're, you're just building all those out by hand. So, like, there's no one way to win, uh, but they're, they're obviously, you know, very different uh, routes to go down. It's, it's whatever's comfortable for you overall. Let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll talk about the stats. What stats are we using most? You can very easily get overloaded with information. Your head starts spinning throughout the course of the week. Which ones actually matter? Let's talk about that next here. Fantasy Football Today DFS. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, so the stats that are actually relevant in DFS analysis. Mike, we will start with you, and you kind of talked about this a little bit, but when it comes to the betting market, I know that we're looking at lines and we're looking at totals, but actually going deeper into specific positions, snap counts, red zone usage for running backs, targets, target share, air yards, dot, whatever things that you think are relevant, what are you looking at most throughout the course of a week? Pace. Is pace something that you're looking at? Because I know that's very important as well. Obviously, we want teams that are going to run more plays because more plays equals more opportunity for fantasy points. So which things are actually relevant for you, Mike? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned pace. Uh, That's definitely one of the most important things. We want to know how many plays, if you can accurately project how many plays a team is going to run, we've seen for the most part, we kind of know what the distributions are going to look like. You can make very good projection sets, uh, frankly, without even running simulations and ranges of outcomes, just have good median data and numbers uh, by doing that. So yes, that's certainly most important. Another thing that I like to look at a lot, we always hear, or if you've followed fantasy football a lot, you've seen a lot of info on like wide receiver cornerback matchups. Uh, the thing that I look at a lot is actually going to be offensive defensive line matchups and look for large advantages or disadvantages on either side of the ball. Uh, that depending on what side it's coming from, depending on the quarterback and how mobile they are, what injuries are potentially being dealt with, that can actually have a meaningful change in his, like some of the distributions as far as target volume, run pass volume. Are we taking more snaps under center? Are we going to be in the shotgun formation a lot more? Uh, those things, while they might seem somewhat insignificant, especially when you're looking at a total of, you know, 50 points. Like I'm not going to lie to you for the average player. The looking at the Vegas totals is going to be the most beneficial initially. Uh, What I'm talking about is all essentially baked into that number. Like if there's likely going to be more plays in the game, if they're are scoring 50 points versus 38 points um, or at least operating at a higher efficiency. But overall, I think that the most underrated and Largest source of edge still in daily fantasy is going to be looking at offensive defensive line matchups and truly understanding how that is going to impact quarterback play and just play calling in general, because you can definitely where where you're going to pick it up. It's going to be a lot of wide receiver two, wide receiver three and tight end usage situations. I would say a lot of people, if you've played daily fantasy out there before, the thing that's frustrating to you probably is like, one week you'll see a tight end that's a mid-range to value play, catch two touchdowns, eight targets. The next week he's going to have two targets, one catch, eight yards, right? And it's really frustrating. And if you go back and understand some of what is going on, you can start to uncover things and why stuff like that happens. There's something that sticks out of my mind so obvious. Last year, Irv Smith, it's funny, we, we were talking about him earlier. He had a game where he had just four targets, two catches, I think it was 20 yards and two touchdowns, right? And it's just like, you can't predict stuff like that. Even if you like Irv Smith, right? It's just, there's always going to be stuff like that. Uh, random kind of things that happen in uh, in football. DFS, there's a lot of variants, obviously. And we've talked a lot about that. Mike, are, are there specific offensive line, defensive line metrics that you look at? I know that football outsiders, they have like adjusted line yards and stuff, which gives us a feel for how much push an offensive line is getting uh, when it comes to like the, the, the running game. So are there any metrics that you look at for offensive line, defensive line? 
Yeah, that's one of them you can look at. Pro Football Focus will have some stuff as well. And then there's some stuff that I kind of do internally, um, just using some of the player grades and some of the other things there. Um, But as far as like what's available to the public there, yeah, what you said is probably going to be the best bet for the average person. See ya. How about for you? We can uh, hopefully our job will be not to overload people, right? Like we'll give people information. Obviously, we'll use stats to back up our takes, so on and so forth. But using what's relevant. So I I think kind of trying to separate the things that are the noise, right? Where, uh, okay, this might mean something, but we really don't know yet. I mean, there's still like a lot of metrics that are coming out. And uh, what are are the things that you look at most that, that help you play DFS? So a lot of the things that Mike said, of course, and and I want to break it down, especially for maybe the person that's listening that's relatively new, a very obvious point, but volume is obviously king here, right? So you're looking at volume, you're looking at touches. So when you're looking at a running back, you're looking at his rushing attempts, of course, but also his his, uh, receptions and targets and things of that nature. A couple, uh, first of all, pace, obviously, I love. I mean, it's, it's, it's like... Picking a, if, let's talk MLB. It's like picking a guy who's in a seven inning game versus a nine inning game. I mean, if, if there's literally, you know, 15% more plays by this team, then you're just getting that much more opportunity to have your guys score. So I, I love pace and I don't, I don't know that people look at that enough. Uh, target share, uh, but also red zone target share and how those two things are trending because you might have a guy like, Justin Jefferson, for example, last year, he started to really emerge, you know, kind of near the beginning of the season. And then you kind of also saw Adam Thielen's target and red zone target share in particular start to go the opposite way. Well, if you identify those trends early and you identify that, okay, Kirk Cousins has a lot of confidence in this rookie and it's only week seven, I'm I'm seeing things here that are interesting. And by week nine, 10, 11, well, that trend just kept going. So it's one of those things, identifying the trend early enough with respect to some of that target share, red zone target share, I think is going to be really important. Outside of that, I mean, other than what Mike said, I think it really comes down to just overall volume and, uh, you know, adjusted line yards, things of that nature, they're all going to help. When it comes to defense, a lot of the time I feel like we were consensus here that we like to pay down for defense more often than not. I mean, there's going to be a few situations where, okay, if you want to stack a good defense with a running back, okay, that's fine. But are there any specific things that you're looking at? Are there any rules? Like, uh, should I target a, a defense that's like a big home favorite or uh, a defense that we know is going to be facing an offense that's passing the ball a lot so there's opportunity for sacks and, and turnovers, interceptions, fumbles, whatever it might be? Start with you, Mike. Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to look at home favorites. Uh, The defense and star running back, stud running back, is going to be one of the highest correlated plays you could make. Um, Typically, if a star running back's going off, scoring touchdowns, they're running the clock, they're in favorable field positions, um, you know, lower scoring on the other side, typically. Uh, So one of my favorite things to do, I was actually starting to do it just a little bit. Earlier in the show, we talked about my favorite little situation for week one was going to be Callaway, Devontae Adams, Alvin Kamara on the other side. I'm not going to play the Saints defense in that lineup, but because I'm doing that, I want exposure to the Chiefs and Travis Kelsey. So the one guy that I have to leave out of this lineup is Dalvin Cook. So one way to get a little bit of exposure to Dalvin Cook without actually playing him is likely going to be playing the Vikings defense. So that's something that I will typically do in those situations where I can still gain some exposure to the situation overall. I'm not going to play the pass catchers. If Dalvin Cook goes off, the pass catchers weren't going to be viable anyway. If he goes off, they're likely in a favorable spot where I can take advantage of that, still get that defense in my lineup and still not sacrifice and force him in if my data says that he shouldn't be in that lineup. So that's something I do a lot with defense. Other than that, if there's no clear-cut situation, let variance be your friend, right? So you you mentioned there's a lot of variance. Scoring touchdowns, while defensive scoring isn't like defensive fantasy scoring isn't super random, the scoring of the actual defensive touchdown is quite random, uh, just like scoring in general in the NFL is. Uh, so what I like to do is let that work in to my favor. Uh, you know, if we see a defense that we know is going to be 30% owned, I'm okay if they score a defensive touchdown and beat me. I'll take the defense at single digit ownership. I'll punt that defense. I'll look for a defense under $3,000 and essentially punt that position. Anything else you'd like to add, Sia, target home favorites for defense? 
No, not really. I, I love the idea of just embracing the variance because as you know, I like to pick all, I mean, I would say eight out of 10 times I'm picking a defense that's really low in price because it allows me to do so many things. So I, I typically will find something, some reason to find a, a defense that's like 2,400 or 2,200. Maybe the offensive line is banged up. Maybe the quarterback's coming off an injury and he might be susceptible to some turnovers or just being you know, more reticent in the pocket than he normally is. There's something with the bottom five or six defenses on on every slate there's usually at least one team you can say okay i can make a justifiable argument there and by the way i might be wrong with the argument that's why they're priced so low but there are arguments even for those bottom tier uh defenses and, and so that's that's where i go almost every time all right let's wrap up here with some players or situations to target and avoid early on in the season right so uh see we'll get things started here with you a player or situation to target early on yeah, I'll go situation here. Just a couple teams that I like. And I, I, maybe I've talked about the Arizona Cardinals too much, but the only reason I bring them up again is because they didn't really do much in the preseason. We didn't really see much of Kyler Murray. And I wonder, and I don't know, but I wonder if that's going to depress ownership maybe a little bit more than it should weeks one, week two, especially if Kyler is flat week one for some reason, which I, I don't think he will be. So I like the Arizona Cardinals situation just because I don't think their defense is any good. And I really think they're going to have to really pile up the points. So I expect to be overweight on what is already kind of a chalky situation with like Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. I might take some shares of Chase Edmonds, Chase Edmonds or Rondell Moore to be different, but I like Arizona. And for the same reason that I like Arizona, I like Seattle. I think DK Metcalf, I think uh, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson, Russell Wilson, I think they're all viable. I think their defense is a little suspect in this Indianapolis game that the total's almost 50. So that's another high scoring affair. I expect the over-unders to be pretty high in all Arizona, all Seattle games. I think there's even some dart throws in these games, like a Gerald Everett. I think Gerald Everett is a great value at 3,400. I don't think anybody's talking about him, and he's the type of guy you could throw in a high-scoring game. He could, he could potentially be in a millimaker lineup. So those are two teams I think I'm more focused on at the beginning of the season. Seahawks, I think early on, something to, to pay attention to will be their new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, has talked about playing more with pace this upcoming season. And last year, we had that first half where the Seahawks were throwing and they were playing with pace. And then the second half, they just, Pete Carroll came in and he took over and he's like, nope, defense, we're going to run the ball. I mean, they didn't really have a good defense, but they tried to run the ball and they just kind of, uh, they stopped letting Russ, uh, Russell Wilson cook last season. So uh, hopefully they can just kind of develop more consistency and, and let's... Come on, man. Let's let's get this guy some MVP votes, Russell Wilson. Mike, a player situation that you are target. I know that you've mentioned already a few times this uh, Seahawks and not Seahawks, Packers and Saints game. Is that what you're looking at? Yeah, it's definitely going to be the first one. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, Callaway is going to be too cheap for at least two weeks. Uh, he's way too cheap in week one. They're not going to double his price point. Um, if he plays anywhere like we think he will, he should be at least fifty five to six thousand dollars on this site. Um, he's not going to make that jump between week one and week two. So that's a situation that because of that, it's going to create a lot of value there. Uh, another one for me is Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I, I like the Colts initially because of Michael Pittman. There's a ton of value with Michael Pittman initially. I like the schedule. They get this first week against the Seahawks. The Rams game, we'll see on that one. Fortunately, it's at home. And then they play the Titans. Uh, we know that game's going to be an absolute shootout there. I think it's, again, going to take a little bit of time for that salary to really start to catch up. And then finally, this one might sound super, super obvious, but it's the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to go right in on the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to overpay for them very early in the season for the reasons that I just mentioned. There's going to be a ton of reliable value early in the season that is just simply underpriced, which is going to lead a lot of players to not necessarily go all the way stars and scrubs because they're going to be like, oh my God, I, I can make one value play and everything else is a mid-range build. I'm going to have a ton of stars and scrubs type builds. I'm going to have two to three value plays and a cheap defense with a lot of those reliable players like the, on the Kansas City side. And then I absolutely love their schedule. If you look at it here, we've got the Browns, the Ravens, the Chargers, the Eagles, the Bills. Like Those are all games that are going to be absolute shootouts that they're going to get into and they're going to play. I, I love this situation. And again, there's no value in taking them, right? You you go try and run an optimizer right now. You might get a little bit of Travis Kelsey if you have a significant median projection on him. But otherwise, if you go run an optimizer for week one of the season, you're not going to have any Kansas City Chiefs in your lineup. 
A few things so that I that's want, a situation I love. A, a few things that I want to hit on there that, that you spoke about. First of all, the Colts. I think that you can get the Colts early in the season at depressed ownership because there is a lot going on with the Colts right now. Their offensive line has been like in and out of the lineup. They've dealt with injuries. They've dealt with COVID situations. Carson Wentz has a COVID situation right now. He's coming off surgery himself. So like there's a lot of uncertainty heading into week one in a game against the Seahawks where they could be playing from behind a large portion of that game. So uh, I think that you might be able to get the Colts at some depressed ownership early on in the season. And then for the Chiefs, you mentioned the early season schedule, which is is great because again, like if you want bring backs on the other side, like these are going to be high scoring games or at least projected to be high scoring games. The Chiefs are coming off of a, a pretty disappointing Super Bowl loss if we're being honest. Sorry, sorry, Mike. But do you factor in like motivation at times? Because I know like, oh, we'll talk about stupid things like, oh, revenge game, a player is going up against his former team kind of thing. We can't really quantify motivation, but it, the Chiefs kind of strike me as this team where coming off that Super Bowl loss, like they're going to be playing for something early on in the season, obviously going up against really, really good teams. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely the re- the revenge thing. I think that it's awesome that they get to start their first game at home. Uh, I think that they can really come out and set the tone, especially beating a team like the Browns here. I think that there's been a lot of offseason hype around the Browns. Frankly, if you look at the betting market, the betting market is priced in that that hype. Uh, as this game's less than a touchdown favorite for the Chiefs at home here. Um, yeah, I definitely think that that's very real. And I expect them to get off to a, a really hot start. I, I think it's really fun that they get the Browns and the Ravens back to back. All right, see, so give me a situation to avoid early on in the season. Uh, I'll give a couple, but I'll only explain one. New England Patriots. I just I don't know where I'm at with them. I, I think a lot of people are just really going to want to glom onto Damian Harris or or Jacoby Myers, uh, maybe Mac Jones because of the uh, from a DFS standpoint, I get Mac Jones from a, from a pricing standpoint, first of all. So I'm not going to complain there, but I, I just I'm not sure I know what's going on, especially with the pass catchers there. So I don't think I'm going to touch New England anytime early, whereas if it was Cam Newton. I probably would have played a lot of Cam Newton because I would have expected him to hit the, especially the tight end targets and, and the deep balls, which he was a good deep ball thrower last year. And I would have expected him to run the ball and get in the end zone. But the one that I'm going to tell you that I just, from a DFS standpoint, I don't think I like early. It's the San Francisco pass catchers. And the only reason I say that is because a Jimmy, you kind of never know what you're getting with Jimmy Garoppolo, but B, you have everybody healthy. And so I just don't know where the target share and how the target share is going to be distributed. So if I'm going to pay up for a tight end, it's probably not going to be Kittle because I don't know what his targets are going to be relative to Brandon Ayuk and uh, Debo Samuel. I might pay up for Travis Kelsey. I might pay up for Darren Waller, but I don't think I'm paying up for any of the San Francisco pass catchers early. You know, I, I was so excited to hear Sia talk again. I realized I didn't even give my situation a target early in the season. But I think I wanted to to kind of circle it back because what you just said about San Francisco, I think is kind of applicable to the Carolina Panthers. And, and I like the Panthers passing game early on in the season. I think what's going to be interesting is trying to figure out what Sam Darnett's target distribution is going to look like because we really only have one game of data that he played in the preseason and you know he only played a half of that game. He has really, really strong wide receivers on that team now with DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. Terrace Marshall showed out, the rookie there, and he has Christian McCaffrey, the best pass-catching running back in the league. So I think that people trying to figure out who the Panthers pass-catchers to target each week in DFS, like it's going to be kind of hard for us to figure out. But as a result... You might get some of those guys at lower ownership and and there might be one guy that has a spike week and then maybe it's a different guy another week. But overall, I do like this Panthers uh, early season schedule. They start with the Jets, then they have the Saints, the Texans, the Cowboys, and the Eagles. And I expect the, the Panthers defense to be pretty lackluster. So could see some shootouts early on. Uh, like The possibility of playing Sam Darnold is like kind of scary, but with those pass catchers in, the, in those environments, I, I could see some some things popping off there uh, with, with Sam Darnold. So I think it's a really good point that you bring up about the 49ers. Not that we don't really talk season-long fantasy football here, but I've avoided George Kittle because he's like a second, third-round pick, and I don't know if his target share is going to be nearly as high as it was in the past. We know he's awesome, but so is Brandon Ayuk, so is Debo Samuel. They like to run the ball. There's now like a quarterback rotation going on, so I don't know. I don't know how good George Kittle is going to be, uh, at least early on here. Mike, a situation to avoid for you early on in the season. Yeah, I mean, I think that Patriots one, I want to say it, it makes sense to say that. The, the problem is, is just the salaries, right? Yeah. Um, you know, 
a quarterback that low, I think it's so hard for me to get there. Uh, another obvious easy one for me is going to be the Texans. Um, just they're, they're an absolute mess. You're going to be tempted by some of those values. But once again, we keep talking about it. We'll point out the values each week very clearly on the show. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to go there initially uh, in the first two weeks of the season. We'll kind of see what some of that looks like. I, I'm not convinced that that team even really wants to play football, um, not just the quarterback situation. So if, if I'm being completely honest with you. Uh, and then I had one other one that is at the top of my head. I'm trying to think who it was. Mike, while you're thinking the of Jets. that. Oh, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, and the reason for the Jets is we thought we would have some running back value. We still might, uh, but same situation there. I want to watch it. I want to see how it shakes out. Is Corey Davis truly going to get those opportunities? Like, yes, he, he's a fine play early in the season, especially if you want to pivot from someone like Callaway. But uh, overall, I think it's one where I want to watch at least one to two games uh, while we don't need that value so we can have a little bit better understanding of what that's going to look like going forward. See, you had something you wanted to bring well, up? I was just going to say, I, I really think, I really think that Jets-Carolina game is really interesting. And I love that you laid out Carolina's schedule for the first five games because, listen, Sam Darnold might have a, a nice little year here because Terrace Marshall, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, I mean, it's just, and Christian McCaffrey, it's such an embarrassment of riches. I just, I'm just glad you pointed out Carolina because I think it's a great team to bring up, but I also think they're kind of sneaky for week one. I mean, the total's only 44 and a half, but by the way, I think a week ago it was 43 or 43 and a half. So it's starting to creep up a little bit, maybe because of some of those Jets injuries. But I think it's also because Carolina might be able to just sling this ball around. It's going to be up to the Jets to keep pace. Yeah. And, and Darnold, if you want to talk about a cheap quarterback, Mac Jones, 4,400. Sam Darnold, we knew all along that he's the starter and he's only 5K on DraftKings in week one. So that gives you an opportunity to pay up at other positions as well. For me, and you brought them up just the other day, Sia, but the Giants. I mean, their offensive line is ranked dead last by Pro Football Focus. It's ranked 31st by Warren Sharp. They just traded for two more offensive linemen this week. So that tells you they're not happy where they're at in terms of their offensive line. Kenny Galladay finally returned to practice this week, but did not play in the preseason at all, dealing with a hamstring injury. So what is the chemistry going to look like between him and Daniel Jones? And then Saquon Barkley, we still don't even know his status heading into week one. I mean, he's coming back off of a torn ACL. You know, as the season goes along, I'm sure he'll be fine. I mean, we've had a lot of running backs come back from torn ACLs before and be perfectly fine and be really good. Maybe that's the case for Saquon. But as of now, they're they're kind of wishy-washy with him. And they play two tough defenses to start the season up against the Broncos, up against Washington. So I think the Giants are... Kind of a dumpster fire right now. No, I'm not just saying that because I'm a Jet fan, but I'll tell you the Jets are a dumpster fire too. Um, yeah, Giants, pretty scary for me. All right, that'll do it. Let's wrap there. For Mike and Sia, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Football Today DFS. The next time you hear us will be Tuesday, and we will finally be breaking down the games for week one. See you then. 